0: The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. It's just a phase, isn't it? As, as parents, as grandparents, as maybe parents who kids have grown up, right? we, we understand this because this phrase is sometimes it's a, it's a word of encouragement. Like it's, it's hope that the sleepless phase will pass, that the, that the terrible twos will pass, that, 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 are, that, the, that the debates over curfew, that, that that phase will pass. Yet at the same time, it's a reminder that it goes by too quickly, that your, your teenagers aren't babies anymore or, or, they, or suddenly they are moving out and they're having kids of their own and you, and you ask yourself, where did the time go? It's just a phase. And so our hope in this series, that this is the second week, of just a short two week series, as we are talking about what it looks like for us to invest in the next generation. As parents, as families, as neighbors, as a church, to be looking at the phases that our kids, our teenagers, our young adults are in and asking ourselves, how can we invest in the next generation? And so in these, last week we introduced this definition of the word phase. A phase is a time frame in a kid's life when you can leverage distinctive opportunities to influence their future. Which means that the opportunities that you have, the conversations you have, the the developments that you have, it changes as your kids change from one phase to another. And so the way that you talk to your preschooler, the way that you relate to them, the kind of conversations and influence you have, it changes when they become elementary students. That as an elementary student, you have different opportunities that you didn't have before. And when your kids become middle schoolers, you have different opportunities and different relationships that become important in that phase that maybe weren't in the phase before. And when your kids are high schoolers, it looks different than when your kids were middle schoolers. You have unique opportunities that weren't present in the phases before as your kids become young adults. Begin to try to figure out life on their own. You have unique opportunities that you don't have when they're younger. Now, I realize as we talk about this, this kind of topics, as we, as we focus in especially to parents, um, it can be challenging for some of us, because, because what I realize for, for some of you is, is some of you that, that you, when you think of your your place in life, that maybe that's just not you. Maybe you're not a parent, or maybe you look at the phase you're in, and, and, you're, and when you look at your kids, it's, you're closer to your kids having their own kids. Um, and so what I want to encourage for all of us is this is not just a series for parents. It's really a mission message. Right? God calls us to go and make disciples of all nations, and so today we're going to apply that specifically to, to, to kids, teenagers, young adults, but it's really for all of us as we invest in making disciples of all nations. And so if you're here and you're not a parent, maybe you're a neighbor, or maybe some of you are, are teachers but you don't have kids of your own, this is for you as you invest in the next generation. For some of you, you're leaders with kids and teenagers, and so you, they may not be your kids, but they're somebody else's kids, and you're investing in the next generation, Or maybe some of you, you just don't like kids and teenagers. And so you want to keep a distance. But even for you as the church, we have a collective responsibility to care, to pray, to support and encourage the next generation. And so there are three categories. I think we all fit into one of these. And so the one that everybody fits into is the category is you can be praying for the next generation. That when you look at kids and teenagers growing up, you can be active in your prayer life. For them, Some of you could actually list out specific people in your prayers to be praying for. Others of you could just be praying for a generation as a whole. And if you need something specific to pray for this generation, what I want, to, I want to encourage you to be praying for, this generation is lonelier than any other generation. That as they have become more connected because of social media, they have now are actually finding themselves to be more isolated than any other generation. Anxiety, depression, self-harm are at levels that haven't been seen before. And so in your prayer life, I encourage you, pray for our kids and teenagers. Pray that they are surrounded by godly people who want to invest in them, that want to be there for them. If you're not a parent, pray for their parents, that they would be present, that they would have healthy homes where those kids feel safe and like they belong, that you would pray for their faith, that they would know in the midst of a lonely world that God is always with them. Now some of you fit into the parent category. And what, I, what is likely true of many of you as parents, when you think about investing in the next generation, you can't really think of investing in kids or teenagers that aren't your own. Because there's an energy that it takes for you when you are trying to pour into your own kids because of the changes and the dynamics and in the, in the conversations that you have with them. And if that's you, that's okay. In fact, what I want to encourage you as a parent, there is no relationship in your kid's life more important than yours as a parent. Now, the challenge for us is that the world will tell us differently, especially when our kids become teenagers. People will start to tell us, well, no, their peers, their friends are more influential. That's not true. There is no relationship more influential in the life of a kid or a teenager than their parents. And so as a parent, as you influence the kids in your own home, give everything, your time, your energy, your conversations, use the opportunities that you have now to make a difference. And others of us in this room have a heart for kids and teenagers, and so we want to serve. Maybe some, of you, maybe some of you work as teachers. Maybe some of you want to serve in the church. And so some of you are serving, and you want to do more. Others of you haven't yet done that. Maybe you've thought about it, but haven't really figured out what steps to take. Or maybe some of you don't want to serve, but you can look around, and you could pick out people and say, I've seen them talk to my kids. I've seen them interact with teenagers, and they'd be good. As a church, we need people who want to influence the life of the next generation. And so if you think that might be you or you know somebody who you think could have that kind of investment, I would love to have a conversation with them. Because we are looking for, for small group leaders who want to show up weekly throughout the school year in the life of young people. And so if you know somebody, um, I, I'm not asking for a commitment. I would love to just have a conversation to help, to help you think about, if that might be you, to help you um, try to decide, is this the way that you could serve and make an investment in the next generation? If you could turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 78. I want to spend some time in this text. If you're using the Bibles in front of you, it's on page 914. Now, when you read the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms is simply the, the song book of the Bible, Right? These are the songs that the, the Israelites, the, the Hebrew nation, would sing throughout their worship life. And so these songs are, are songs that as they would gather together, that these would be at the heart of what they believe, the things that they are passionate about. Now what's interesting with Psalm chapter 78 is if we parallel that with what we talked about last week from the book of Deuteronomy, you'll begin to see s- certain things echo that Moses was encouraging for them to do that they are now singing about in Psalm chapter 78. Moses in Deuteronomy 6 says, Hear, O Israel. Hear, hear, church. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And impress this on the lives of your kids. Impress God's love in their lives. And so he encourages parents, the church family, to talk about it. To talk about when they walk around the road, when they lie down, when they get up. And so then what we see in Psalm chapter 78 is is, is they begin to then sing about as a nation... The same thing, caring about the kids, the grandkids, the families in their midst. And so I'm going to read from Psalm, in Psalm 78, beginning at verse 1. It says this, it says, O oh, my people, hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, what we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord his power, and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they, in turn, would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. The nation of Israel, as they are singing, as they are worshiping together, they are singing to God, let us tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of God. Because they want their kids, they want their grandkids, they want the kids who aren't born yet to know, to trust, to follow God. That, That their life would reflect people who are being faithful to God. Now what's really interesting about this is when we look at the nation of Israel, they're not exactly the kind of people we want our kids to grow up and be like. Like, like this group of people who are singing about influencing the next generation, they actually aren't the kind of people we would want to hold up and say, I hope my kids turn out like that. Where they're, they're actually pretty bad examples. Because over and over again, what we see in the Old Testament is, is God has his standard and then Israel does something entirely different. That God says, don't have any other gods. And what does the nation of Israel do? They immediately start worshiping other gods. They rebel against God. The book of Judges records the, the, their, their faithfulness or their lack thereof. Because over and over and over again, it describes their ways as evil and we- wicked. They wanted nothing to do with God. Yet God repeatedly shows up gracious and compassionate. Even like, even like King David. right? David, and Go- David who fought Goliath. David who we could hold up as a hero of the Old Testament. He writes many of the Psalms and if we look at David, who the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart, he's not exactly somebody we'd want our kids to be like. He murdered a guy. He committed adultery. Like, he disqualifies himself from working on staff here at a church. Yet, they can, yet they sing anyways. Let the, let the next generation hear the praiseworthy deeds of God. See, what's significant about that is they're talking about the praiseworthy deeds of God, not their own praiseworthy deeds, Because they don't have much to brag about. And so what they are pointing the next generation to is God's work, not theirs. They're pointing the next generation to to God's faithfulness, not theirs. Because if they want to tell their story, their story is filled with sin and rebellion and rejection. Yet when they point to God in the midst of their story, what they can point to is that God keeps showing up. When they've run away, God is chasing after them. When they have sinned, that God has forgiven them. That over and over and over again... As a nation, they see that God shows his favor on them. That God simply has chosen them. And they don't deserve it. They haven't earned it. Yet God forgives them anyways. See, what they understand when they say they want their kids to know God. When they say they want their kids to trust God. When they say they want their kids to obey or follow God. They understand that they won't know if someone doesn't tell them. That if they want their kids to follow after God, if they want their kids to know of the wonders of God, they understand that they have to actually tell them. They actually have to make sure that they hear about it. They need they they understand that they have to know these wonders. And so if we don't share it, they're never actually gonna know this God that we claim to follow. And we could take that a step further. Because if you don't tell them, someone else will. No, I don't mean that in the positive sense that you're off the hook. What I mean is that when it comes to the faith of our kids, as they ask questions, as they try to figure out what they think about God, if you don't help them know what to think about God, they're going to find answers from somebody who may not think what you think about God. They they may, may come to their own conclusions based on what they can discover from somebody who maybe doesn't even care about them. If you don't tell them, someone will. Someone will help, help them answer the big questions. Someone will help them wrestle with the depression and anxiety. Somebody will help them process their doubts. One of the primary ways that teenagers in this generation are discovering that they deal with depression is YouTube. One of the ma- main ways that teenagers in this generation have discovered that they are dealing with depression, they know their symptoms, and they watch a video and see that they match. Right, think about that for a second if, if you're a parent. Right, your kids are finding out they have depression devoid of a relationship with somebody who actually cares about them. Somebody on the other side of a screen who has no relationship, no conversation, no desire to see their lives change is how they learn that about the feelings that they're having. And this isn't just a way that we're feeling kind of thing. It's, it's all of our faith. Our kids are going to ask these questions. And so if we don't tell them, if we don't surround them by, with people we trust to also be telling them, they're going to find the answers probably from somebody who doesn't actually care about them. The early church talked about the same thing. When it came to the mission that they had to make sure that all the world knows, they said, as for us, we cannot help but speak about what we've seen and what we've heard. Right, in the book of Acts, right the early church, they understand that if what we believe is true, if we've seen and we've heard that the work of Jesus, if we, if we understand the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we can't keep that to ourselves. Right, if we actually understand that we're forgiven, that we're set free, that we're made family, we can't help but talk about it. See, when it comes to the life of the next generation, they won't know if someone doesn't tell them. If someone doesn't tell them about the grace of God. If someone doesn't tell them that God loves them even when they mess up. And they won't trust somebody that they they don't know. And so if you don't tell them, they won't know and they won't trust if they don't know. They won't actually want to follow God if they don't trust him. They won't follow someone they don't trust. See, as parents, sometimes the tension for us, the struggle for us is in the day-to-day reality. So much of our focus is drawn to, to the behavior, to the rules, to what needs to change. And that's normal, right? That's the struggle. That's the tension we deal with. But when it comes to the lasting faith that we want of our kids, if we focus only on what it looks like to follow Jesus but don't ever help them know or trust Jesus, we're missing the heart. And so we might be able to at times get them to do the right thing, but if they don't actually trust Jesus, they're not gonna follow Jesus. Now we understand this, like we we've experienced this, because what's at the heart of any time we sin? Right? At the heart of any sin is us having a lack of trust. That we 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 know what what the Bible says, but we often think, all right, I think my way's better. I mean, I think I know better than God what, what is good or what's gonna mean the most to me in this moment. And so we choose what we want, not what God's want. Why? Because in that moment, we trust ourselves more than we trust God. And so when it comes to our kids, our teenagers, our families, we have to tell them. And in each and every phase, we have unique opportunities to tell them, to share with them, to have conversations with them that will help them have the faith that knows, that trusts and follows Jesus. One of the ways that we like to visualize this that I think can be helpful for us is with, with, a, with a timeline. And so with a, with a timeline, what we can do, what it helps us um, is, is it helps us step back for a moment and see that all the conversations, all the moments, all the opportunities are actually connected. See, what's, what, what's easy for us as parents is we can really get focused in on the moment because we know the current struggles. We know the current conversations. And so we focus on what's happening now. And we can really only focus on what's happening now. And so when your kids are preschoolers, you're pretty focused on getting through the preschool years. When your kids are teenagers, you're pretty focused on figuring out how to get through those teenage years. But, but let's for a moment just step back. Because what we understand when we talk about influencing the next generation, what happens in the preschool years makes a difference when your kids are elementary students. And what happens when your kids are elementary students impacts them when they're teenagers. And what happens when they're teenagers impacts them when they're adults. It influences their marriages and their future families. And so what I want to do is I want to apply what Psalm chapter 78 says specifically into the different phases of our kids' lives. So in the, in the preschool phase, we embrace their physical needs to establish trust. See, in the preschool phase, from zero to five, what we are doing is help them learn to trust. And so when our kids cry and we hold them, when they get hurt and we take care of them, when we feed them, when we provide for them, they are learning that they can trust us. And when a kid learns that they can trust you as their parent, when they learn that they can trust another adult who shows up in their classroom on Sunday mornings, what they are learning is also that they can trust God. Because if you as an adult are trustworthy and you tell them about God who they can trust, they will trust God if they can trust you. Now what's interesting about this is that by the age of three, our kids' brains are 80% formed. By five, it's 90%. Which means what happens in this phase is crucial to the faith of our kids. The conversations that we can have when our kids are small, forever changes. The way they know, the way they trust, the way they follow God. Now this is also, maybe some of you have experienced adopting kids or fostering kids. This is also why this can be incredibly challenged. Because when kids miss what they need in this phase, if if your kids, if you've adopted a kid and they didn't experience anyone embracing them and knowing that they could trust an adult, when they come into your house and didn't experience that, it creates a whole new set of challenges that, that wouldn't have been there if an adult actually invested in them and embraced them the way an adult should with their unique challenges. And so in the preschool phase, there are a number of things that we can be doing for for, for our preschoolers. You can be praying for them. And and I'm going to rattle through a lot of things, and these are on the back of your bulletin, so don't feel like you need to try to write all of these things out. You can pray out loud with with your little ones. Let them hear you pray. You can sing songs with them. Read Bible stories. Get a kid's Bible. We love the Jesus, Jesus Storybook Bible in our house. Read that to them. Even before they're able to start interacting with a story, start reading to them. You can repeat basic ideas over and over again. One of the things we teach our preschoolers is the Bible is true, true, true. Repeat those kind of simple phrases. If any of your kids are doing preschool ministry this this morning or throughout this month, they'll be learning this this whole month. Who, Who does Jesus love? Jesus loves everyone, right? Try asking your preschoolers, "Who does Jesus love?" Encourage your kids to pray as they, as they get a little bit older, as they're two, three, four years old. Help them learn to pray. Help them repeat simple Bible verses. Now in the elementary phase, what we do is we engage their interest to earn relational credit. See, the challenge in the elementary phase is that sometimes it's really hard to be interested in what our kids are interested in. Right the, the challenge, right, right. the challenge last, last week we had this moment of, of confessing sins as a family. And so I wanted to create this spiritual moment. And so I went down with my son. And so immediately he says, do you know the name of the Red Ranger? And I'm like, this is a, we're talking about Jesus. And so he wants to talk about Power Rangers. But what, what happens in the life of an elementary student, my, my son's kindergarten. So right at the beginning of the elementary phase, as a dad, my responsibility is to be interested in what he's interested in. Because as that happens he will also start to be interested in what I have to say. See, one of the things when it comes to spiritual life, we think that spirituality and fun aren't related. But if you have an elementary kid and you don't have fun with them, they're not going to care what you have to say. Fun is the platform for truth when your kids are in elementary age. And so what are the opportunities, the moments, the conversations that you can have with your elementary student? Well, one of the interesting things that I recently learned is one of the best predictors that research has shown in the life of an adult regarding their capability to, to have intimate relationships is whether or not as a fourth grader they had a best friend. All right, so, so think about that. If you are thinking about how you can help your kids when they're in fourth grade, maybe one of the best things you can do for their future marriage is help them have a best friend and learn how to keep a best friend. And so when it comes to our kids' faith, as we are helping elementary kids know, trust, and follow Jesus, again, there are things that we can do in this phase that maybe you couldn't yet do when your kids were three or four years old. You can, again, repeat basic truths, maybe different truths. You can t- teach them things like treat others the way you want to be treated, or teach them that the Bible is true and it shows me what's best. In elementary school, you can, t- you can buy your kids a kid's Bible, and so maybe not a picture Bible, but one with actual words and verses. Get them a readable translation so they can learn how to read the Bible on their own. Tell them about when you started following Jesus. I mean, maybe some of you have elementary kids. Do they know anything about your faith? Give them opportunities to help serve friends and family. As your kids get older, you can ask them how they would like you to pray for them. You can memorize scripture together. As they start to read scripture, ask them questions like, have you read anything that means a lot to you right now? Share stories about your own faith, about your own difficult decisions. Now in the middle school phase, what we do is we affirm their personal journey to prove a relational commitment. And so in the previous phase, right, we were, earning, we were making investment, earning um, some, some credit. Now in middle school, we pr- we're actually proving it because things get really hard in middle school. They get hard for you as a parent, they get hard if you're leading middle schoolers, they get hard if you are a middle school. Because in middle school, everything changes. right? In middle school, besides the infant years, there's no time of a kid's life where they change more than they do in middle school. And so their brain's changing, their friendships are changing, their faith is changing, their body is changing... And so what you have the opportunity to do as a parent or as an adult who is investing in the life of a middle schooler, when you prove your relationship, you become something consistent in their life when nothing else is. And so as a parent, when you continue to be there for your kid, to listen to them, to not freak out, you're proving that you love them and that you're not going anywhere when their friends have ditched them, when, they're, when they feel like they're isolated and alone. As a small group leader, when you prove that you're going to be there, that you're not going anywhere, what you do is you meet one of the most basic needs of a middle school student. Belonging. Because a middle school student just wants to know, am I accepted here? Because they they, they feel like everyone's looking at them, everyone's judging them, and so you, as an adult, have the opportunity to make them feel like this is a safe place as they process their questions and their doubts. Now again, there are a number of things that are valuable in the middle school phase. You can can encourage them to serve the church or the community with you. You can be ready for hard questions. Now when I say be ready for hard questions, I don't mean have answers to the hard questions. I just mean don't be surprised when they come. Don't don't freak out when they ask something that you don't think they should even know about. Share your own doubts and struggles and how you've worked through those. See, in middle school, your kids are going to start to have doubts and struggles. And if they have never heard how you process doubts and struggles, they might not know how to process their own or that it's normal that they have doubts and struggles. Because when they're an elementary student, they didn't have those. Prioritize a weekly small group. Where In middle school, your kids are going to find people that they can share what's going on in their life. So find a small group so they can have other adults who are investing in their lives. Pray for your kids even when they're not with you. Ask them questions to help personalize their faith. See, a personal faith doesn't happen when your kids are in elementary school because they don't understand the idea of a personal faith. That's not a thing when you're an elementary student. When you're in first grade, you believe what your parents told you is true. In middle school and eighth grade, they, they they have a personal faith. They can begin to have a faith of their own. And so ask them questions to help them personalize it. Because that's new. Help them beginning learning devotional habits. Prayer, reading the scripture, singing around other Christians. One of the things that research has shown uh, about adolescents in middle school and high school years, um, one of the, the things that best helps brain development in young people, um, prayer, meditation, and religious singing. Secular research has actually shown that by doing those things in middle school and high school years, it improves a teenager's capacity to see God as gracious and compassionate. Secular research has shown that when your kids do those things, it actually is changing their brains, that God has actually wired them so that those things would help them understand God as gracious and loving. In the high school phase, we mobilize their potential and leverage relational influence. See, in the high school phase, it becomes challenging because your influence changes. Your influence changes as a parent. It changes as an adult, as a small group leader. Now, it doesn't mean it doesn't matter. It just looks different than it did in younger years. Because in younger years, you had influence because of your authority. But now it's all based on your relationship. And so in the high school years, you, re- you leverage the relationship that you've earned with your kids. As you have conversations, you leverage their trust for you. And if you don't feel like you have that, then you, then you do the hard work. You earn that relationship so that you can have those conversations when they're ready to have them. See, so when your kids are younger, you kind of control when the conversations happen. But something happens in the high school years when suddenly they talk when they're ready to talk. So their small group leader who maybe has been in a small group with them week after week after week, and they feel like, all right, these conversations are pointless. They're not getting it. Suddenly the high schooler then texts them and says, we need to talk. Because that leader proved it to them. And so then they can leverage now that opportunity to have a conversation when they're hurting. Or for a parent, right? you've been wanting to talk to your kids and so suddenly they come, in, they come home after a date and it's 12 o'clock. You are ready to sleep and they, and they start just talking to you in your bedroom. See, for you as a parent, you need to be ready to talk then. Because for a high schooler, when they're ready, you need to be ready. To use that conversation to leverage your relationship in the moment when they're open to it. Now in the high school phase there are a number of things that you can be doing. Again, um, that you can empower them to serve weekly in the church or the community. See, if you want your high schooler to be growing, if they are just taking in information but never actually giving to others, then you're going you're gonna to put a, a, a limit on their growth potential. And so you can empower them to serve weekly in the lives of kids, teenagers, the church, the community. And that might require you driving them there. You can encourage them in their devotional habits, their prayer, their reading. You can prioritize a small group for them. Help get them connected to adults who want to be there for them when they need it. Welcome their questions. Be transparent about your own ups and downs in your faith. Encourage them with scripture that relates to what's going on in their life. So if they have a bad coach or a bad day, give them a scripture that relates to that moment. You can demonstrate grace and love and forgiveness. Not just giving it, but asking for it. Get them on a mission trip. Pray for their future. Now in the 18 plus phase, we leverage key relationships... ...to integrate their faith, their life, their passion into the body of Christ. See, what happens in the 18 plus phase, which is really challenging for a lot of us... ...and see, the thing that's challenging for us about the 18 plus phase... ...is adolescence is different than it was when you turned 18. Adolescence is now longer than it was before. And so, when you turned 18, you had certain thoughts about what were the markers of adulthood. Those are not what your 18-year-olds think about anymore. It's changed... And so this this phase becomes very challenging, but what we're trying to do is leverage our relationship as parents, to leverage our relationships as leaders, to to become mentors, to help integrate their faith, to help them be a part of the full body of Christ, to serve like we are serving, to care like we are caring, to have mutual relationships where where I am a benefit to you and you're a benefit to me. And so in this phase, everybody's asking the question, what now? Like, what now does my life look like as an adult? Your, your college-age students are trying to figure that out. They don't know what it looks like. They don't know what it looks like to be a Christian adult. And so, but suddenly they have to figure out, what now? What now do I want to do with, with the rest of my life? As parents, you're asking the question, what now? Like, what now is my relationship with my 20 something? When my, when my college student comes back home after they finished college and now they want to move, move back in. Like, what now do the relationships look like? What now do the rules look like? What now can the expectations be? See, it changes. Yet what we try to do as adults, as parents, as the church, is we can help them integrate their faith, their life, their passion into the body of Christ. And so leaders become mentors and over time, those mentors are, are friends. Those people that you serve with become peers. You're serving alongside other people. You simply become a part of the church family. In Psalm chapter 145, which we read earlier, says, one generation commends your works to another. That one generation commends the works of God to the next generation. See, I don't know what phase you're in. I don't know if you're, if you're in the phase where, where your kids have moved out, where, where your kids are having kids. I, maybe maybe you, you don't even have kids. Maybe, I don't know what particular phase like, you like the most. I don't know if you still have preschoolers around or elementary students or teenagers. But in each in every phase, we have unique opportunities to commend the work of God to one another. The, the same psalm says the Lord is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger and rich in love. See, when it comes to what we want for our kids in every phase, that's what we want. That when our preschooler, when our elementary student, when our middle schooler, our high school, our college student, when it comes to their faith, we want them to know that God is gracious and compassionate. That his love never runs out. And that even when we get angry as parents, that God is slow to anger. And that when we feel like we are in debt because we've sinned, because we've rebelled. That God is rich in love. That we can never out-sin the grace of God. And as one generation to another, it's the grace and compassion that we need and the grace and compassion that we want for our kids, our teenagers, our young adults to know, to trust, and to follow. So that not only would our generation know that, but the next generation would, and their kids and their grandkids would know that God is gracious and compassionate. See, it's really just a face. So please don't miss it. Let's pray. Jesus, as a church, you have given us an incredible opportunity to invest in the lives of the next generation. As parents, you have placed young people in our lives who we get to spend time with, we get to care about, and we get to show your grace and compassion to them. As leaders who invest in kids and teenagers, we have opportunities to show up in their life, to show up in their life and show them that we're interested, to show them that we can be trusted, and to show them that we care about them when everything else changes. As a church, you've given us a calling, a responsibility to help the young people in our midst know you, to help them trust you, to help them follow you. And so Jesus, as a church, help us to commend your works, your grace, and your compassion, so that our kids would know and trust and follow Jesus all the days of their life.